With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, right, before I get to my next guest, Kenny Knox, I want to give a shout out to a couple more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout out to our friends over at the Macklemore. The Macklemore Mountaintop Community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic Macklemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen Championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with me here on Next on the T is former PGA Tour Pro and short game guru, Kenny Knox. Let me remind you about Kenny's background. He's from Columbus, Georgia, which is about a two-hour drive southwest of me here in Atlanta, right on the Alabama border. Played his college golf at Florida State, where he was a two-time All-American and was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Fame in 1990. While there, he won the Jim Lee Open during his freshman year and later the 1977 Southeastern Amateur Championship. Kenny won three times on the PGA Tour at the 1986 Honda Classic, the 87 Hardys Classic, and the 1990 Buick Southern Open. He is one of the all-time great putters. In 1989, he set three putting records at the Heritage Classic. He had eight putts over nine holes, 18 putts for 18 holes, and 93 putts over 72 holes. He is currently one of the top instructors in the game. You can find him now back down in Tallahassee, Florida. You can sign up for lessons by going on his website, KennyKnoxGolf.com. And while you're on there, check out his line of wedges and putters that all look fantastic. And I'm very honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kenny, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Boy, you went deep on that record, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) You've done a lot of great stuff, Kenny. (laughs) <laughs> you went really deep on my past history. That's awesome. 
You know what I so, tell people, Kenny, the older I get, the better I used to be. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. You know, it's, it's been a minute since we got to spend some time with you. Kenny, catch us up. What's been going on with you this year? Yeah, well, I haven't been able to travel as much with this uh, COVID going around and everything. So been kind of stationed at home, uh, teaching a lot of golf, a lot of junior golfers in Tallahassee at Capital City Country Club in Tallahassee, Florida where I make my home and it's just a, it's really been really good for me and, and the kids to be able to spend so much time together and get some golf scholarships out there and getting them all ready for college and everything. And it's just a lot of fun to, to watch their games improve and, and watching them uh, uh, decrease the number of putts they have per round. And to that end, Kenny, I mean, like I say, you're, you're one of the top instructors in the game right now. And, and one of the all-time greats uh, for short game and, and putting. And, and I think a lot of the mistakes that uh, amateurs like me, you know, sort of the weekend hackers we make is when we get an opportunity to get out, and whether it's going to, we're going to the driving range to practice or we're going to hit some golf balls before our round of golf, we pull out the driver, we, we hit a bunch of those. Maybe we throw a couple of balls down on the, on the putting green before we tee off and, and away we go. And we're not spending the time where we need to spend it. Talk about, you know, kind of flip-flopping that, like, you know, more time on the short game, more time on the putting green is probably where we need to be spending that time. Uh, as I grew up at Columbus Country Club in, in Columbus, Georgia, I, I would go out. We had a little uh, uh, chipping green. It wasn't a putting green because the, the putting surface was not good enough to putt on, but it was a chipping green with, with sand traps and, and rough and everything uh, out uh, next to the uh, the 13th uh, hole, uh, par three. And I would just, I would spend hours and hours out there by myself. And so that pretty much ingrained into my whole philosophy of learning how to practice. I literally get bored hitting golf balls uh, on the driving range. I, I lose time on the short, on the short game area. I forget how long I'm there. I mean, it's just not, it's just, I mean, a whole nother world, uh, chipping and, and I'm using my imagination to hit different shots and just going, you know, just going as far as I can go, pushing the envelope as far as I can push it to create shots, you know, flop shots and, and just picking them off the grass and watching how fast they stop and, and the different angles. And, and I come from a pool player family. My, my father was a good, good pool player. All three of my brothers were very good pool players, but my, my brother that's eight years older than me was a world champion pool player. And I used to rack, rack balls for him late into the night as he would gamble at the local bowling alley playing pool. And so I think that I acquired such an, uh, I, uh, interest in, in creating angles on, on different ways to do things with the golf ball and the golf club, that that's, that's what attributed to my short game, uh, success. And so I would always push the envelope on that and see how far I could go and see what worked the best. And I know that Phil Mickelson is probably without question, the best of all time short game, uh, player. And, but he's also aided with the best equipment that, that, uh, anyone could ever imagine having. I was one time when I was representing Callaway when I was on the Champions Tour. I was out there doing some club fitting, and I looked and I saw this rack of wedges. And I'm like, with Roger Cleveland, who used to own 
Cleveland Goff, who is now the wedge man at Callaway and has been there for quite a few years and very well uh, good at what he does. He said, oh, those are Phil's wedges. I said, what do you mean they're Phil's wedges? He says, yeah, he uses a new wedge every week. And that just blew wow. my mind because we we were using wedges that were like, are you kidding me? I mean, that you, you could not even perform any of the tasks, any, any, any of the shot making that, that the great Phil Mickelson uses. Now, he had to learn how to hit them, but a 64-degree wedge off of a tight lie at Augusta National is much different than a wedge that has 12-degree bounce. Trust me on that one. And trying to trying to get that ball up in the air and stopping up from behind the 15th green at Augusta National. So there is a big difference in, in equipment. and But it's also his imagination as a young boy learning how to hit the ball, not forward, but by, behind him, was was having great imagination. And so uh, you have to give him all the credit in the world for doing that. And you just go with the times and you go with the equipment and things of that nature. But I can assure you that we can never hit those shots with the equipment that we played with. Yeah, to take that a step further, Kenny. You're going back to you know what the, what the face of the golf club was like when you played, what the grooves were like, what the golf ball was like. Talk about trying to get the the spin and the action on the golf ball that uh, that you guys had to play with versus you know taking out the same clubs that uh, that we know today. Well, you know, my first two wins, I was using the Ping uh, I2s and the Copper Beryllium, and I just absolutely loved them, and they were fantastic. And but all I heard was all this controversy about square grooves, square grooves. And so I said, what the heck? I'm going to change company. I'm going to change golf equipment. I'm going to see if I can do any good. And I went with the, the most beautiful club on the market. It was the McGregor VIPs. And the uh, they were so good. They were beautiful. But they did not have the square groove. And so I was leading the Anheuser-Busch uh, at Kingsmill in Virginia one year, coming down the stretch. And on the on the front nine there, uh, I hit a shot out of the – out of the rough on the seventh hole and the ball stopped on the green. And after watching the telecast, Johnny Miller was criticizing me for using square groove. And that's about the maddest I've ever been in a commentator because I was using V groove. And so I ended up shooting uh, a course record there of, of, of 62 that we can win in the golf, uh, not win in the golf tournament, lose the golf tournament in the playoff. But later in the year, I won, uh, the Buick Southern Open using my V groove McGregor VIPs, and so I was. That was so gratifying to do that because there was such a, a stigma about the square grooves and how how it was cheating to use those clubs, but they were actually very good. My first win with the Honda Classic, I I can promise you that I would have never won that golf tournament without those wedges that Ping uh, made with the copper beryllium uh, square groove wedges because I was able to hit shots on the 16th hole, my last round when I was coming down the stretch with the lead in the golf tournament, I had a shot that Lee Trevino said was impossible. I was short of the green, short of the bunker left, and the pin was tucked tucked front left, so I had no green to work with whatsoever. And he said the best he can possibly do is get this within 15 feet of the hole, and I hit a shot that literally stopped one foot from the hole, short of the hole. And and everybody just threw their hands up. I threw my hands up. The club came out of my hand. But it was like, wow, this is amazing. So golf equipment has made a huge difference in 
Now, since then, square grooves have been outlawed, but I believe the grooves that they have today are just every bit as good as the one we played with in 1986. So, Kenny, that begs the question, you know, when uh, Johnny talking about square grooves, when you had the V grooves, did you did you correct him? Did you go show him the club afterwards? Did you set him straight? Oh, he, he was the invisible man. You never saw him. All you did was hear him on the telecast. He, when I first saw him uh, walking the fairways in 1986 at New Orleans, uh, in the tour event at New Orleans. I can't remember the name of the, the sponsor that year. But anyway, uh, and he was walking the course, and we were talking a little bit about it. He was That was when he first got started doing the commentating. But after that, with all the controversy that he created with the comments that he made, uh, you, would, you would never see him on the golf course. You would never see him except in the booth. Kenny, uh, a place that uh, a lot of us lose strokes are on the, on the shorter putts. I wanted to get some advice from you so you know you look we're looking at a a three or four foot putt and that's that's a a putt we don't spend a lot of time on the practice screens practicing if we do spend any time at all it's typically you know 10 15 footers and then we get the three or four footers a couple of times around we miss them and it ends up costing us a couple of strokes on on what should be a, a almost an automatic how how do you teach your students to be more confident, first of all, because some of those are knee knockers and, and we get afraid of them. How do you teach them to be more confident and more consistent with the short range putts? Uh, it's all about education. There's only three things in putting that I talk about. First, the alignment, and which is the most important thing. If you if you if you take the putting arc robot, he will never ever. He's he's the greatest putter that never lived. And you take him and you <laughs> set the ball up in a neutral position, and you line him up properly, he never will ever, ever, ever miss a putt. But if you take a human being and you line him up, he will miss putts or her up. They will miss putts because they're not perfect. But he has the putting, the perfect putting stroke. So that takes me to my next uh, uh, level, is that's the mechanics of the stroke. So learn how to line up properly, the ball being in a neutral position so that you have the proper release at impact. Now, the second thing is the mechanics of the stroke. Well, since the putting arc robot does not have a head, he has shoulders, arms, hands, and then putter head once it's connected to his hands. And so all you do is you move the shoulders and the arms, the shoulders, the arms, and the head, putter head, will move. And so the golf ball simply gets in the way of the path of the club. And as it does, it releases properly on a perfect arc. And so, therefore, the ball will always start on your intended line. So when you're lined up properly, the golf ball will go. Now, you know, the big question is, did I line up on the correct line? That's the hard part. And I heard your interview earlier with Greg talking about Tiger Woods, that his advantage at Augusta National is simply because he knows the greens better than anybody else. When you put him on a, a new course like Harding Park, or you put him at a course uh, that they played last week up at Olympia Fields, he doesn't have the confidence, which goes to my third stage of putting. So you have you have the the perfect alignment, and you have the perfect mechanics using the shoulders, arms, hands, putter head as one unit, and then you have to have the confidence, the trust, to know that you're going to make the putt. 
So when you line up correctly, then you start trusting that you're going to make the putt. That's a huge deal. The trust, now you believe you're going to make the putt. Well, if you, if you combine, if you combine Chris with alignment with great mechanics, then you're going to have all the belief in the world you're going to make that putt. And that's how you become a great putter. So when you become a great putter, you're not going to make every putt. When you hit a bad putt, though, you will understand why you hit a bad putt. And so, therefore, you're able to correct it instantly and determine that my transition was too fast. So my short got stro- my stroke got short, So and my transition was too fast. So the little drill that, that Phil Mickelson put into play, actually, a couple of weeks ago, where he was stopping his putter at, the, at his backswing and then rerouting it on the downswing without a transition hardly, that was a great drill to do. That teaches you how to slow your transition down so the putter will fall online with your backstroke. Now, the putter will open up one degree every inch on the perfect arc. So if you make a six-inch backstroke, it's open six degrees. Well, if it opens six degrees, then it has to close six degrees coming back to impact. And then what does it do past the ball? It closes another six degrees once you go six inches past the golf ball. That's the perfect perfect putting arc, one degree open every inch. And so when you do that, the golf ball simply gets in the way of the path of the stroke. And if you're lined up properly, you'll make every putt. And Kenny, on your website, KennyKnoxGolf.com, you mentioned that 85% of golfers can't aim the putter right, and 90% can't get the ball to roll soon enough. Talk about what you mean by that and how can we get better at it. Well, the optimum launch angle on a putt is 1.5 degrees launch angle. So if you have a four-degree lofted putter, okay, then that means you have to de-loft the putter two and a half degrees to get the ball rolling properly, okay? So what I teach people first to do is learn how to line the putter up. I believe that the feet, hips, and shoulders should be parallel left of intended target and putter face square to intended target. So when the shoulders move, the arms, hands, putter have moved with it then the putter face will square up at impact. Well, that accomplishes your goal of aligning the putter up correctly. So going back to, let's see, I've kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Talking too much. So anyway, uh, the reason they miss putts is simply because they don't understand what, if the putter face is too open or the putter face is too square, then you have to be square at impact. You always have to be square at impact. Now, you have another factor that comes into play, Chris. The different type of putters that you use are very, very important. And that's one thing that I, I fit people for the perfect putter because if you line a putter up one way, you may not line the next putter up the same way. So different hosel configurations will determine where you li- actually line the putter up. So what I'm saying is 75% of the people will line up differently with different putter configuration. 20% of the people, or five, I should say 5% of the people will line up perfect. When I fit Jack Nichols for his putter, he lined up every putter configuration I could give him. Uh, he lined up perfect. So I call that my 5% club. Now the 20% is a club that you don't want to be in because you can never line up anything. And so therefore you have to get lucky almost or learn how to line up properly. So what you do, if you go to my website, you'll see 
It's very simple. You put your elbows close to your body as you grip the putter. The putter head is up in the air, pointing to the sky. You want to bend your waist uh, down and let, allow the putter to come down parallel to the ground. And then you simply let your arms fall from that position there behind the golf ball. That tells you a couple of things. That tells you how far you should be from the ball. And then your eyes will be on the inside part of the golf ball. So you want the putter going back on a, on a perfect arc. So you never want your eyes outside the golf ball or even, even with the golf ball. You want them slightly inside so the putter will rock on the inside path back and through if you're using your shoulders, arms, hands, putter head in the proper technique. So if someone is using a square to square stroke, what happens there? They become disconnected in their putting stroke. So what I mean by that, that's why the belly putters were so good is because they kept a connection between your shoulders, arms, heads, putter head with your body. And so all you had to do was move your shoulders and the putter always stayed on that perfect arc. But once they disconnected the putter from your body, then all of a sudden you had to find that perfect square position at impact. So therefore, it was very difficult always find that perfect square position. So that's why Dave Peltz came up with a face balance putter so that you could take it straight back and bring it straight through. But even then, you're disconnecting back and through. The butt of that putter head will get further away from the body than it started with a face balance putter because it wants to go square back and square through. So it disconnects on the backswing and disconnects on the through swing. The greatest putter that ever lived is being Crenshaw, and the putter, I, I can pretty much guarantee that that putter never, ever got a greater distance away from the ball than where, uh, I'm sorry, away from his stomach uh, from where it started from uh, in a dress position, back and through his stroke. It always stayed the same. Well, Kenny, it sort of begs the question, right, as we're lining up for the putt, Talk, talk to me about how do we know if we've got the ball starting off in the right position and it's not too far forward, it's not in the center. Where should that be and where should our eyes be in relation to it? Okay, so so when you're lining up the putter, uh, you pick your intended line, say it's one cup out on the left-hand side of the, of the left edge of the cup. All right, so approximately four inches away from the cup. So what you want to do is when you walk into the putt, what you want to do is have your feet close to one another, aim way left of your intended stance, uh, of your intended target, and your hips and shoulders are also going to be aimed way left. And your elbows are in to maintain that connection, and the putter's up in the air, and then you bend and drop the putter and line it up to your four inches left of, of the left edge of the cup. Now your putter faces square to your intended target. And then and not until then, you can take as much time as you want to line that putter face up. That's the most important thing you do. Then you separate your feet. Now, when you want your feet about shoulder width apart, and you want the golf ball on the inside of your left heel if you're a right-handed player. If you're a left-handed player, obviously, it's going to be inside of your right heel. And But remember, your feet need to be shoulder width apart because that can be miscued whenever you spread your feet out further than your shoulders. And so, therefore, now the putter face is square to your intended target, which is four inches left of your the left lip of the cup. And your feet are now going to be uh, another foot left of that intended target. 
but that is parallel left of your intended target. So therefore, your feet, hips, and shoulders are parallel left of your intended target, where your putter face is square to your intended target. So therefore, we're always making a stroke that releases properly, is square at impact, and releases through the ball uh, properly. So therefore, the, you never have to change your stroke just because you have a left to right putt or a right to left putter. So what I like to do also is play the game within the game, Chris, which is going to be putting uh, 201 instead of 101. And so I will actually move the ball around a little bit in my stance to always protect the high side of the hole and all better known as the professional side of the hole. So when I do that, if I have a left to right putt, which I know is going to break four inches, I'm actually going to move the ball to my left toe, one ball up in my stance. So therefore, the putter has already released at the neutral position, which is inside of the left heel, released. And so therefore, the ball is always going to stay on the high side of the hole. I, and then the same thing with the right-left putt that's going to break four inches. You're going to move it one ball back in your stance. So therefore, the putter face has not released at moment of impact. The putter face is actually open at moment of impact, approximately two inches or two degrees. And so what we want to do is learn the system so that you never have to change your stroke. All you're changing is your alignment uh, with your ball position, which is also going to change your path of your stroke and the backstroke. A ball up in your stance, the putter face will go straight back. A ball back in your stance, the putter will come inside. And when it returns to the moment of impact, it will either be closed or open. And so, like I said, this is putting 201. It is not 101, which you teach your basic putting. It is a game within the game. And this takes you to the next level if you want to learn how to really putt and make a left or right four-footer to win a championship. You never want to have to change your stroke for that situation. And, Kenny, there are a lot of different shaft styles for putters. And I know that has a big impact on, uh, on you, know, you talk about degrees of open or closed in, in, the, uh, in the putting stroke. And um, so I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. How do we know which kind of shaft? Is it just really based on, on confidence level and, and, uh, and you know, kind of look and feel when we're, when we're practice putting? And, you know, we may go to the PGA Tour Superstore. We may come see you. Uh, and trying to figure out what putter is right for us. How does the, the style of shaft do, as opposed to us just going in and buying off the rack? You go, oh, this looks good. I kind of like it a little bit. How do we know if we got the right one or the wrong one? Well, I, I think, Chris, with, with the modern technology today, it's very important to have the right shaft. However, I'm not a big shaft guy. <laughs> I'm a more of a feel guy. And so I want to feel to feel the putter head. Uh, which is really crazy and stupid because I set all the putting records with a, a very light putter head. <laughs> but I still, as the more I teach, the more I learn, the more I putt, I want to be able to feel the putter head. And so what you want in a shaft is one that will consistently return and uh, to square uh, every time. And that's what they're trying to achieve when you see all these different types of shafts. However, I think when you get into graphite shafts and things of that nature, you lose the feel of the putter. Uh, the, the different players are using different shafts, uh, and it, and the reason they're using them is not, unless you're Bryson DeChambeau, the reason they're using them is because of feel. 
I think DeChambeau takes it to the next level of technology and what he feels works best uh, from the science standpoint. And which, you know, frankly, is way, way above my head, but he's yet to achieve the goal that I've set myself and become the best putter uh, through having all the putting records at one time in his career. So we can argue that point all day. But I will say he's making more 20-footers than he's ever made in his life as well. But he's also got uh, having to do a lot more chipping because his short game is uh, is excellent, but his his wedge game is not real good with all the bulked-up muscle. Kenny, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to get a couple of memories from you. I know you were in the field for the 86 Masters when Jack won. I know the two of you are really good friends. You mentioned working with him and, and getting some putters for him. What do you remember about being a part of the 86 Masters? <laughs> the greatest memory, I was the only guy in the entire field on Wednesday afternoon to predict the winner of the golf tournament. And the Is that right? I predicted, I, I am, and that's on record, and that's on video as well. I'm the only guy to predict Jack Nicklaus to win the golf tournament in 1986 on video because he just happened to be my playing partner that day against Greg Norman and his partner. And so when we came off, we went to the par three course to play. And uh, it may have been Tuesday afternoon. And so uh, they were interviewing each player. Who do you think is going to win? You know, and I said, well, my partner's going to win this. Well, okay, who's your partner? I said, Jack. And so <laughs> there you go. And that used to be played uh, before the tournament every year. The Life and Times of Bobby Jones was played. My good friend Sid Matthew, who produced and, and uh, that video for the Masters tournament that Callaway picked up and would play it every year. But that was also played as well. Jack's going to win, of course. He's my partner. So that was a great memory for me. Uh, I remember shooting 75, 76 and missing, missing the cut by one shot and simply could not handle the green uh, that week. However, I never had a, a three putt, but I couldn't, I couldn't make the putts I needed to make. And the golf course was not suited for my game as well because it was a hooker's golf course. If you need to be a high hooker to play that golf course, I was a low fader. Kenny, you're looking back in, in 1991 at the PGA Championship. You opened with a 67 and, and pretty bad weather conditions. I, I read that a spectator was actually struck and killed by lightning that day, which Happened to be the second time that year that uh, something like that happened a couple months earlier at the U.S. Open in Hazeltine in Minnesota. Six people were struck by lightning. But, you know, being out there in, that, in those kinds of conditions, was it scary? Do you remember being the weather being really horrible? It, it, it was not that bad during the week. It had rained a great amount uh, uh, leading up to that tournament and the week of the tournament uh, prior to the tournament day. However, it was very wet. And you would you wouldn't think a guy that flies the ball 240 yards would have a chance to play uh, in such conditions where the ball was not rolling very well. But an ex excellent first round of 67, and I led the golf tournament. And then uh, I I was either leading or close to the lead after the second round. I was right there. Uh, and then of course John Davy made his appearance and and blew the field out on the third round. Uh, and and took the four-shot lead over me. And we played together the last round of that week. 
he was a perfect champion for that turn, uh, for that course because uh, it was a, a long ball hitter golf course, especially with the wet conditions. Uh, and he could take it over the corners, and literally he would hit shots that I thought might be out of bounds on dog legs because it looked like he was popping the ball up in the air. I'm like, oh, that didn't go anywhere. And he get up there and he's at seven iron to par fives, and I'm back there hitting driver driver. So uh, what a great advantage he had, and he handled it very well. His short game was incredible. Uh, he started out very poorly, and I thought, well, this guy's, you know, he's got his bad nerves. I, I think I can handle him. And then he second inside a foot on the second hole. I said, oh, well, maybe not. So he uh, he had a great week. The only time he really blew it was on the 17th hole, the final round, where he made a double bogey there, and uh, he had a four-shot lead going 18. I was still trying to figure out, can I catch this guy? Can I catch my birdie? <laughs> But he had a great drive and a great second shot in there and two putted for par, and he was a great champion. Kenny, before I let you go, remind our listeners about some of the great uh, teaching uh, videos you have available on your website, KennyKnoxGolf.com, and then uh, how they can stay up to date with you, whether it's uh, it's online or it's over social media. Yeah, Chris, I like to try to educate my players, uh, you know, on how to set up the ball properly. That's on my that's on my website, the Kenny Knox Golf website, and uh, some videos on there talk about the different ways to control your your short game distance. Uh, you know, with with maintaining your connection through the ball and rotating your body through. I I, I have a technique that I use that uses the bounce of the club, and you're able to control your ball flight, your trajectory which is going to uh, give you more consistency in your short game. Uh, and, you know, I love the sand. I love the sand. And I, and I teach a different technique. You, you're going to ride the horse and you're going to swing the arms. And it's almost like a polo player where you can't move your lower body and you're swinging your upper body. And so it, it's a very effective technique to use, uh, teach people how to use uh, the sand wedge in the bunkers. But it's all about using the bounce club and not the leading edge and so the leading edge is bad the bounce is good once you learn that then you become a good short game player and as far as putting is concerned it's all about the transition and stroke you want to be around the 2.0 to 1.0 in your rhythm you know one two one but i tend to be much slower than that i like a longer slower stroke like like my putting hero uh ben crenshaw uh much much longer, slower putting stroke. But uh, you see what happens to guys that, you know, like a Jordan Spieth who had a very one-to-one stroke, who was a great putter, and now he struggles with his putting. I hope that he comes back because I love Jordan Spieth uh, as a person, as as a great ambassador of the game of golf. And Kenny, one more real quick. Talk about uh, your line of wedges and putters. Well, it's just very simple. I'm, I'm very low you know, low budget. Low, I, I have a great set of uh, wedges, which uh, are all natural finish. When you receive the wedges, they are they are chrome and they look beautiful, but then they go natural and they tarnish. So what I tell people to do is just get in the bunkers. They're much more playable uh, with a natural finish, and that's why I chose to go that direction. I have a 52, which is a little bit offset, a 56, which is absolutely perfect, and a 60 is absolutely perfect. The bounce on them are, 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 uh, the ideal bounce where the 60 degree has, has eight degrees bounce. The, the 56 degree has, uh, 12 degrees bounce. 
and the 52 has uh, eight degrees bounce as well. So uh, the bounce is good on them. The shafts are just your normal shafts. Uh, they come in, uh, like I say, they come in the natural finish. The putters, uh, the record series is what I really recommend. Uh, they're second to none. Uh, they launch a ball at 1.5 optimum launch angle, uh, which is, which is, if you're adding loft at impact, it still launches at 1.5. If you're de-lofting the impact, you're still launching at 1.5. The ball gets on the ground rolling, uh, true and if you're lined up properly, you'll never get the skids and the bounces that will uh, allow you to miss the putt. Well, Kenny, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being part of the show tonight. Always learn something when you when you come on. I hope we get the privilege of catching up again uh, real soon. Well, thanks for asking me, and it's always my pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much. Take care, Kenny. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe, my friend. Thank you. See you, Kenny. That's the great Kenny Knox, folks. And uh, KennyKnoxGolf.com is his website. A lot of really great instructional videos. Check out his line of wedges and putters. They look fantastic. And uh, like I say, there's uh, there's no one who is, you know, he's very humble in talking about Ben Crenshaw. We all know what a great putter Ben Crenshaw was. Make no mistake about it. But um guy that sent all the putting records. Remember, yeah, 93 putts over 72 holes, folks. That's, you know, that's unheard of. Over a tournament, they only have 93 putts, and Kenny did that. And uh, a wonderful short player. A lot of magical videos out there for you to understand how to hit the wedges and uh, and and use the putter. And um, like I say, when when I think about Kenny, and I look at some of those instructional videos, whether it's from the bunkers, and he talked a little bit about that, uh, or just in the regular short game, guy had unbelievable hands and unbelievable control of a golf ball. And then as he talked about, you know, going out to the practice range and just trying to be imaginative and creative and hit lots of different shots and seeing the reaction that the golf ball had. I mean, that's something that uh, I'm trying to get my son to do as uh, as he starts to mature in the game is just go out there and, and hit different shots and see what happens. And that's uh, exactly what Kenny talked about. He's, uh, he's a fantastic teacher down in Tallahassee, Florida. KennyKnoxGolf.com, again, is the website. Please go online and check it out. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again to Scott McCarran, Greg Ducharme, and Kenny Knox for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Next week, scheduled to join me are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, will be back. Performance mind coach, John Taylor will be making his debut on the show, as will the founder of Shoots Golf, and that's S-H-O-O-T-Z, Shoots Golf. Bill Bam, uh, Bill Blambo uh, will be a part of the show. Looking forward to having both of those guys on for the first time. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites. Folks like podcast.co, those folks have been fantastic to me. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, player.fm and radio.com as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to make this show a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.